0: It's a place where we'll learn about each other and ourselves, dive into important issues that affect us, discover all that we have in common, and make some memories. So pour yourself a glass of red and get comfortable. Every night is ladies night, and we are women. I originally met Jacqueline Alterwine about two years ago when we first teamed up with the NBCF to donate 10% of our pink lipstick profits to them. At the time, I was looking for breast cancer survivors to gift with lipsticks that help spread our message of women's healing and empowerment. I saw that Jacqueline was an integrated nutrition health coach and cycle bar fitness instructor and I noticed that she was a huge advocate for women getting their annual mammograms and in fact has inspired many women to do so. I asked Jacqueline to join me tonight to share her story and spread her important message regarding women's health and being proactive by getting annual mammograms. During our discussion, Jacqueline talks about why she advocates for women to get their yearly mammograms, why she chose to get a lumpectomy as her treatment, and shares advice for women diagnosed with breast cancer. Jacqueline also shares her thoughts on the emotional struggles women may have when it comes to being diagnosed with breast cancer, an area which often represents our identification as women. She also spoke about the importance of support and how we can be there for our friends and families suffering with breast cancer. Listen in to hear her inspiring story on faith, courage, and
1: empowerment. First of all, it's so nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me to your podcast, Nahami. I'm Jacqueline Ultrawine. I am uh, living in New Jersey now, but I grew up in Florida, born in Brooklyn. I always like to throw that in there, even though i <laughs> my dad's from Brooklyn and my mom, Jersey, we lived down there when I was two and a half. So I don't really, you know, it's all I really remember growing up in South Florida um, and loved it there. And I'm um, the daughter of a gynecologist who turned health and wellness professional and way more than that. My dad was um, really laid the foundation for me to follow my fitness and my health. My career in fitness and health. And um yeah, I have one sister and I now live in New Jersey. All I ever wanted to do was be a dancer. When, from the time I can remember, I wanted to be a dancer, dancer, dancer. And that's what I was going to do. Actually, when I was a little girl, I wanted to be a rocket. And growing up in Florida, the little Florida girl wanted to be a rocket. And so, um, but as I grew up, MTV and the hip hop generation took over. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to do hip hop. <laughs> so, um, that's what I did. I, that's what I did pretty much right out of high school while also going to college simultaneously for a uh, degree in adult fitness, which is basically exercise science. I figured I was going to be in fitness and combo my dance and my fitness career. And that's kind of what happened, but I have such a, quite a journey over the last 30 some years. It's really, I don't know, I think we would need a few more podcasts (laughs) to go through all of it. So
0: yeah. Right. Well, wow. that's so cool. I didn't even realize you were a dancer.
1: I was for a long time. And now I have taken a lot of what I've learned and and my health and wellness not only interest but education and I am a uh holistic nutrition health coach certified by the Institute of Integrative Nutrition and I am also a group fitness instructor primarily indoor cycling so and other other group fitness formats. So
0: Oh, huh, that's so cool. We'll discuss that aspect of your journey about the fitness soon, like a little bit later on. Um, I'd love to hear more about that. Let's just start with your journey. Now we're in Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and you are a huge advocate for
1: mammograms. So it's it's awesome bringing that up right away. I'm really glad you are. Thank you.
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah, so. I'd love to hear about your journey with breast cancer. You're a huge advocate, as I said before, of for women getting mammograms and for health in general. Like you mentioned earlier, could you tell me when you were diagnosed with breast cancer and how and how you
1: found out? Yeah, well, I'll try to get through it without any tears. I always like it. Always somehow, it's it's a very personal and emotional story for me. But we have to rewind back eight plus years and you know 8 plus years ago growing up even the daughter of a gynecologist who was exposed to health as particularly women's health got, you know um i didn't know anybody with breast cancer or at, or who had been diagnosed or was a survivor or at least i didn't know i didn't know that i knew those women um, and it wasn't until I think this is the eighth year, this October is actually eight years that I remember coming home. Um, I was coming into my house. I had the dry cleaning draped over my arm. My phone was ringing. I had like, my purse was still like on my shoulder. I was just walking into the house with like a bunch of stuff. My phone's ringing. It's my mom. And I knew that she had had her annual mammo scheduled for that day at three o'clock. It was about quarter to five. Five, and I was rushing and she's she I answered the phone and she just said uh, Jacqueline she says she said Jacqueline I'm you know I'm here my mammogram and I have breast cancer wow. and you know you don't ever that, that's a really hard thing to hear in that moment especially when you don't know much about it so I didn't know much about it and um long story, long story that coming forward, you know, I dropped my fangs. I, 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 I had to ask questions. I didn't understand how could you go into a mammogram and in less than two hours, know that you have breast cancer. Well, I learned basically being co-survivor with her throughout her journey for the next year and a half of her journey through chemo and um, her, her surgery. I went to majority of her doctor's appointments, chemo treatments. She did her radiation treatments pretty much on her own. And my mom at the age of 66 really held her own throughout this treatment. Like she stayed and lived at home by herself, which was pretty amazing. I thought she's gonna have to move in with me, but that speaks to the advancements in treatment um, that my mom was able to do that. I mean, we could go into so many different facts, but. um, What, what her experience opened my eyes to was the importance of annual mammograms. And at that time I was 41, probably, I guess it was eight years ago, I was 41 going on 42. And I had had one or two mammograms by that time. And I just realized how important the annual mammograms were. I mean, my mom was diagnosed at her annual mammogram. Um, so she's doing great. She was diagnosed with stage one or two, um, triple breast cancer, which is a super aggressive um, breast cancer to get. And she's actually doing really great eight years later, no signs of recurrence. Um, Again, speaking to the treatments that are available out there, so important for women to know that they, to empower them with this knowledge, to help to take away the fear of of breast cancer and going through their annual mammoths. My mom is doing great. At the age of 66, she's now 74. And then, but that also opening my eyes, I started to speak about the importance of annual mammals at that time after going through that with her. And then towards the, after she was finished her treatment, a very good friend of mine at the time who was 40, it was, she just went for her annual gynecological appointment and her doctor said, you know, you're 40 now. Oh, I see you just turned 40. It's time for your first mammogram. Long story short, that first mammogram turned into a breast cancer, a very early breast cancer diagnosis. Um, She did not get diagnosed at her mammogram. It took longer than that. I don't remember the exact, but I went to a lot of her appointments with her, a lot of her doctor's visits. I was at her surgery with her. And then um, again, I was now experiencing breast cancer as a co-survivor, but now a different journey. Then my mom, super different. My mom was 66, she was 40, a first-time mammogram. Like, how can this happen? This reinforced the importance of annual mammograms. And I get to speaking out even more and even more. And then towards the end of her journey, another friend of mine was diagnosed with a second recurrence, her a recurrence. So second time around with breast cancer. And I had not known her at the time of her first diagnosis now i was now going through another breast cancer journey with a good friend of mine and playing a big role in her support system and her food meal trains and just being there for her as a friend um and seeing another breast cancer journey and again just reinforcing because her original uh diagnosis came from her annual mammogram as well in her early 40s so Needless to say, I was going for my annual mammograms in my early forties. Like 365 days to the date, <laughs> I would not let like 367 days go by without getting my mammogram. And each one of those mammograms was so scary for me. Um, I was posting from them, and the my last I finally went in uh, my last mammogram that I went for in 2016, December of 2016, I posted on my social media that morning. And I remember, <laughs> I remember the butterflies after being through, especially after being through these, these three experiences over the course of, it was over the course of um, four years that I, that these three experiences were just back to back to back. So in my life, I was like thrust into this world of breast cancer. And I had gained a tremendous amount of knowledge and I was fearful. I would wake up in the morning for my mammograms and I would have, I couldn't eat. I'm like, anyone who knows me knows I love to eat. (laughs) And so I had so much butterflies. I couldn't eat on the mornings of my mammogram because I was scared. And, um, even though all three women had survived and, you know, doing great and all three of them are doing great. They're all doing great, which is the, which is like the best thing. I love to share that. Um, I went in and I was there. for four and a half hours that day, taking all kinds of pictures, back and forth, back and forth. And by the end of the day, they said, we need you to come back. We see something that is signaling a biopsy. So that was in December through many, many tests, many ups and downs over the next three and a half months, including a surgical biopsy. Um, It wasn't until March, the end of March. So three and a half months later that I got my diagnosis and um, I was diagnosed with,
0: um, I'm like, I feel myself tearing up. I'm like,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know, you know, you go a long time without sharing a story and then you're like, Oh, I got this. I can totally tell the story. But as you can see, it's, it is, it's super emotional. It just brings everything back when you talk about it. But, um, I was diagnosed with very early stage breast cancer, the best kind of, if you can have a best kind of breast cancer, it would, I had it. And, it's uh ductal carcinoma carcinoma in situ dcis it's staged as 0 um which doesn't what that means is that the cancer cells have not left the the ducts in, inside of the breast and that's that's where breast cancer originates at least to you know modern medicine what's known to modern medicine is originates So before it can leave the ducts, that is the best time to get it, which is why I knew to go for my annual mammogram because I always said in all of my advocating for annual mammograms prior to my diagnosis, I said, if I'm ever gonna get this, I'm gonna get it so early that I'm gonna be able to beat it. It's just because I'm going for my mammograms. And it's like I spoke it into the world because that's exactly what happened. Um, And because that happened, and I'm a big, was already a big believer in that things happen for a reason. And when you try to make sense of like why you get this diagnosis, someone who's been super healthy for the majority of my life has always been in, in health and fitness. I mean, there's been periods in my life where I definitely was not. And I was, you know, um, where I definitely took steps back from fitness. That's all part of my journey and where I'm at now, but you know, for the most part, being very aware of health and fitness and disease, and my dad was super, um, t- always talking to us about um, cancer and how to beat cancer and lifestyle. Um, you know, I had to make sense of my my diagnosis and I further reinforced the reason why I advocate. You know, if this is going to happen to me, exactly what I'm advocating for other people to do, and it happened to me, there must, I must it's probably because I need to share my story and help others. So that's what I've been doing. I, I had opted, um, my my story moved very quickly. I opted for a double mastectomy, taking everything into account. I opted for a double mastectomy and three weeks after my di- I received my diagnosis, I had a double mastectomy. Um, I had a really wonderful, and reconstruction. And about six months, from first surgery to being able to say I was back and, you know, and out of, out of treatment. So I didn't have to have any kind of those, you know, I didn't have to have radiation. I did not have to have chemo. Part of the reason is because I did catch it so early and because I decided to have the mastectomy. So continue to advocate and advocate really hard. So thank yeah. you for having me on this podcast because we are women and we need to support one another. I'm really a big believer in supporting other women, lifting other women up, and this is one of the ways we can, you know, by sharing our stories and letting others know that we're really very we're really the same as there's so many little fine differences cellularly that makes us biologically individual, but we're so much the same at the same time I've been listening to some of your podcasts. And I think that's what struck me listening to some of your podcasts with others was that, you know, we all have like the same insecurities, fears and making that known and talking about it. It makes it, you know, makes you so that you feel like you're not so different from everybody else. So Absolutely. Yeah, so thank you for having me here.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. Thank you so much for for jo- for coming on. Like I I'm so honored that you you're sh- that you're sharing your story and and our platform. So it, it means a lot to me. It really does. Um. I know this is not this is a very um, emotional and
1: personal topic and story. Well, yeah. There was a time when I was telling the story before my diagnosis. First, I was telling I was spreading my message, which is. It's a hashtag, of course, Annual Mammos Save Lives. And if you follow that hashtag, you can see I've posted, I, I I tag pretty much everything I do, all of my stories, all of my advocating on Instagram and also on Facebook, you know, easily, to, it's easy to track my story that way. All my events are Annual Mammos Save Lives. That is yeah. my campaign. So I just kind of reiterate and reiterate and what I was doing was prior to my diagnosis, I kept... Talking about it from a co survivor perspective
0: mm-hmm. and
1: then becoming a survivor, um, a patient and a survivor, and now speaking it from my perspective, it really is two different things. And so I also talk to co survivors a lot and try to help them because that's its own challenge, too. You know, being a co survivor, not knowing what to do, what to say, how to support somebody that you love, care about, that's your friend, family whatever the case may be. Those co-survivors, that's a real thing um, in, in, in any illness, any diagnosis, not just breast cancer, but it is, it's truly sure. a real thing, so yeah.
0: Yeah, okay, so I have a few things. So first of all, I have one question because you mentioned that they start mammograms at age 40. So why do they do that? Why don't they start earlier since a lot of women are diagnosed when they're younger?
1: That that's you know listen that is there I know a lot of women that are diagnosed earlier. I can't answer that for for you because I'm not you know I'm I'm not a, a doctor a medical doctor. I can just advise on my own based on my own experience. Um, I advocate for if, if for genetic counseling if you have you should speaking to your doctor about if you have concerns if you um, have any kind of breast cancer in your family, definitely doing genetic counseling and talking early on to your doctor. It's never too early to bring up, you know, even in your twenties, Hey doc, what's the deal with mammos and what, like, where does it stand now? What's the new, cause sometimes they change the, you know, the, the, the recommendation and what insurance will cover is based on the recommendation, right. By within the, within the medical industry. so. Um, We I will say that the breast cancer, my pink sisters, breast cancer world and majority of the women I know, we are advocating for younger, for first for mammograms to be covered much earlier. And it just seems to be on the rise. Um, I get stories all the time. I'm constantly being introduced to newly diagnosed. Um, I help people through their journeys. And I'm part of a young. Even at when I was diagnosed, I was 45. I was like, a, um, I actually went for my mammogram a few days before my 46th birthday, so I was 46 at the time of the actual diagnosis, and that's considered young. But I, you know, I I'm in this world now, so I know women of all ages. So it's it's I think there's, there is a good, big gray light that breast cancer is really something that can't, I, I can't use the word beatable or curable because there's no cancers that are, but it is, I mean, like such good chances of being able to beat it and not having a recurrence. My, because of the choices that I made, I have a less than 1% chance of ever having breast cancer again in my life. And you know, that's less than the one in eight that I was before my diagnosis. Right. So I, I focus on that, uh, you know, and I like to let remind women that they also have a seven and eight chance of not ever getting breast cancer. Right. So not to be so scared. Yeah. About it. Right.
0: And just for the woman who might be nervous or scared to get a mammogram, what is the
1: process? Like what happens during a mammogram? Oh, that's such a good question. Actually. No one's ever asked me that. And so, um, first of all, it's totally normal to be nervous. Like I said, every year I would go, I would have butterflies and was just like, Oh my God, is this the man? Is this the mammogram where I'm going to be diagnosed? Like my mom at her actual mammogram, but that's not generally, it happens in so many ways. So I don't want anyone to be scared, be like, Um, you know, you're going to find out at your mammogram or not. Again, my mom found out in less than two hours. It took me three and a half months. So journeys are so different, so individual. Um, But at a mammogram, you know, they, let me tell you the breast cancer centers, I always advise going to a breast cancer center to have your mammogram number one, because the nurse, from the time you walk in, the nurses are all, everybody is specialized in in breasts, And I want a, a technician that's going to put my boob into the machine that's only putting boobs into the machine all day because she's going to be an expert at getting the best pictures. And then the radiologist who's looking at only breasts all day long, he's going to be a super expert at at at, at finding, you know, because just it's just based on the numbers, the more the experience. So the more experience you have in, special, in specializing in in an area, naturally it's going to make you just that much sharper. That much. So I always recommend going to a breast center and the breast centers these days are amazing. They're like going to a spa, <laughs> you know, you get beautiful robes. Everyone is so nice when you first walk in, all the nurses are amazing. And this has been consistent throughout all of these experiences that I've visited, you know, was as a co-survivor and mine as well. Um, and you know, so, so they really do try to make it as relaxing and as comforting as it can be. So that's been my experience, which is nice, but, and everyone's, you know, experience is also going to be a little bit different. You're basically paired up with a technician and, you know, after you go through all the check-in, you wait and they usually have a private waiting room and nice dressing rooms and nice robes. And. You know inside the room you're just usually with one it's been my experience just to be with one technician and depending on what your doctor has prescribed as far as pictures you know they'll take different types of pictures there's different types of mammographies and based on your history so um you know and then you depending on the center you can get results same day some take a few days or a week so most, you know, in breast centers, you're more likely to get a quicker response. So that's another reason why, um, I always suggest a breast center and and doing the research on that.
0: Right. That makes sense. That's such a good point because they are, they're specialized, as you said, and that makes a huge difference. And they're probably also more sensitive to what women are going through because they're seeing it all day. Mm -hmm. Yep. Totally. Totally. So you, so basically it's a process of mammograms is getting pictures taken to mm-hmm. analyze them to, to, yeah. to see what's going on. Okay.
1: I mean, if you just keep it very basic again, I'm not a doctor, but right. it's basically taking images of your breast tissue a mammogram sees, but there's, there's multiple ways to see your breast tissue too. It's, you can also see, I would always do a mammogram and an ultrasound at the same appointments so and ultrasounds. They, they take images they see the breast differently. And then there's also MRIs. So there's different ways to look at the breast tissue. It's not just a mammogram, actually. Um, so I was already under surveillance because of my mom's history. There were, I was doing an MRI and then six months later would do a mammogram ultrasound. And then six months later I would do an MRI. So again, not just based on history and experience. So these are questions that you can bring up to your gynecologist, your internist, Um, you know, your family, your family doctor, but talk about it, you know, because the more information you have, the better off we are and in anything, right? For sure. Yeah. 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 So getting
0: back to you about your experience. So what was your thought process like when you were first diagnosed?
1: Uh, Well, I would have thought that I would have been able to like, after four years of going through it, was you know as a co-survivor three times, I was like I could you know I was like I I I I'll, I'll knock this out. I will. I'm very like I'm very strong. I'm resilient. I will say that in the moment I have my moments. So as soon as my doctor walked through the door in that exam room, when I was coming um, to the the post-surgical visit for my my bi, I had a surgeon had to have a surgical biopsy, and so. As soon as she walked the door, she didn't have to say it. I just saw it on her face. And I, I, I literally, I think I just, I think I started crying before she even said the words, you know, there wasn't even a hello. She just said, you know, it's, it's breast cancer. And it felt like I had got sucker punched. It was a punch to the gut, you name it, whatever you, how you describe that surprise feeling of just being whacked. And I cried, you know, I cried you yeah. we were so strong,
0: but at the same time, it's it's a power, it's powerful that, that you're so powerful and that you had those thoughts, like those, you know, you were scared, obviously, like that's what you're saying, you know, um, but you were also knew that you could get through it and you were going to like overcome
1: this, you know, I did. And in literally in that moment, in the exam room, I made a decision right there, which actually changed two, three weeks later. I was like, well, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to do, it. you know, my mom had done it. My, my, one of my friends had done it. I said, I'm going to have a lumpectomy and radiation. And this is what I'm going to do. I mean, we, we started scheduling the, the surgery right there in the exam room. Um, I, I I'm not somebody who waits around. I'm like, we're going to do this. I'm going to do this right now. And I'm going to be done with this. Like I'm going to get through this, but it, it was a sucker punch. And fortunately because I was able to schedule my surgery only about three weeks later, I only lived in that reality of having cancer in my body for three weeks, which is a really short, short time to have to deal with that reality. Cause as soon as I had the the double mastectomy, which I had changed my, that's a whole nother story, but you know, I decided to do the double after really exploring all my options. And that's something I also recommend women have a lot of, you ask every single question that pops into your brain. You talk to other survivors who have been through it. I always recommend talking to other survivors who have been through the same walked in your shoes. It's really, really hard for anybody who has not been in those shoes to be able to um, speak to it and give advice. So um, I only live with it. Like my reality was like three weeks because as soon as I had the double mastectomy, in theory, the cancer is gone. It's out of your body. And that's the reason why I wanted to do that double mastectomy. I want, that's part of the reason I wanted it out. And um, I'm really fortunate for that, that I didn't have to, you know, wait to do chemo or wait longer to be scheduled. There's now, you know, we're filming this, we're recording this in October of 2020, right? We've been in COVID for seven months and I have, I know women that have been waiting and had to wait for their surgeries. And I feel awful because, you know, you're just living with that the thought of there's cancer in my body. So that's a whole nother psychological, emotional wow. deal with. So I'm very fortunate. Like I said, I really had, I really had, I think the best experience I could have. I feel very fortunate, very blessed. And because of it, I feel compelled to share my story to help other women.
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, and I've seen I think you've spoken about this on your platforms, correct me if I'm wrong, that other women have been inspired by you and have actually taken your advice and they've gotten tested and been able to get the treatment they needed quickly in the early stages because of what you've done and you're spreading your message.
1: Well, I'm going to be honest, hundreds of women I've heard from in the, over the last eight years, literally hundreds that have written to me and, um, or commented in, in my social and saying, thank you, because of you, I went for my annual mammogram. But literally out of all of those, all of the women, um, there's only been just a handful um that have come back positive. And that speaks to the numbers. And I like to say that because it's not like I've had dozens of women that have gone and experienced the same situation as me. Um there's so again, there's so many journeys, but um, one of those. And the first one was my sister. So a couple weeks after my mastectomy, well, she was having what we thought sister pains. Like when I, when I was diagnosed, she was having some pains in her breast as I was going into my mastectomy and we're like, it's probably just sister pains, And you know, right. What are the chances just go? She's like, you know, and I'm a few months past, do for my annual anyway. My doctor was able, we got her in for a mammogram. Actually, while I was at my first post-op after my double mastectomy, she I was upstairs with my surgeon and she was downstairs getting a mammogram. And then we found out about 10 days later that she had also tested positive. Same exact breast cancer as me, also DCIS. She was 43 or 44 Uh, I think she was 43 at the time. And um, what are the chances, right? So, but since her diagnosis, and she's doing great. She also opted for double mastectomy too. And um, she's doing great. And so we're both, you know, I'm now going on three and a half, three and a half years. And she's going on three years, just over, over three years since her surgery. So that was a, that was a good. That was, you know, an interesting year. That was. Yeah, I'm sure it
0: was. <laughs> like, I can't even imagine. Wow, what was the like? What was the recovery process like for you?
1: Oh, good question. Well, I will say this. Now, I'm. I, you know, I spoke about this earlier. I'm a fitness instructor. I've always pray. I don't want to say I've always because, just like every other, like so many women out there who have fallen off the wagon when it comes to fitness, I totally have. I have been through my whole you know, gain weight. I have a tendency to hold weight. Um, and it's hard for me to keep that off. I've, I've over, it's taken me like 49 years now to figure out how to be my my best self, but I have been up and down that scale on and off. But fortunately I had made my way back into fitness, not just, um, personally, but professionally in my early forties and transitioned back from entertainment and did a whole dancing career and production back into, um, fitness. And I was in really great shape going into my diagnosis. I was even at the age of 46, I was in great shape. And my doctors told me that if it wasn't for that, I, my recovery would have been tougher and more challenging. So you know, it's another reason why I've stayed in fitness is because I and I am because one of the reasons I've become a health coach is because I want to be able to spread and educate the knowledge that I've personally experienced to help other women. Because no matter what you're going to be faced with one day, whether if it's walking down the stairs and you twist your ankle, you want to be in the best physical shape you can be in. So. Because of that, I you know I was teaching indoor cycling at the time, and um, I had to be on and off the bike even during my whole uh, when we were diagnosing all my testing, because I would have biopsies and that would take me off the bike for three days, and then there was just other complications that I was experiencing during that time that I was back and forth, and then um, from the time I had my surgery. I was back on the bike, which is where I did a lot of my therapy because indoor cycling for all my indoor cycling enthusiasts out there, they'll know, be able to relate to like how therapeutic it is. So I, the physical for me was actually easier than the emotional journey and the psychological journey. But I was really fortunate to have indoor cycling. I was working at Cycle Bar. And I had the community at Cycle Bar um, to help me through that. They were so incredibly supportive, and I was back on the bike taking a class. I think within six, well, and within five weeks, I was attending a training, and then I was taking classes around six weeks, but being very careful and cautious, sitting in the back, not getting out of the saddle, not putting any pressure on my upper body, but being able to just move my legs and to be in that space where I felt the support. And I was able to lose myself from the music. Um, that was a it, it just played such a significant role in my, my recovery and my treatment. Um, I did have to go back off the bike a few times during that time because then I had some other complications and then I had to go back in for reconstruction. And then after my reconstruction, which is a much quick, it's, it's quicker than the double. Um, I think I was back on the bike within five weeks teaching. So yeah. together from first, I was having my surgery on April 19th and I was back by the beginning of September teaching classes. Now I came, when I came back, I will say this, even as fit as I was going into my surgery, I came back at around half of the strength that I had. And I noticed because again, indoor cycling jargon, I was on a 15 um resistance when I was going into my surgery and I came back and a seven on my resistance was challenging me like a 15 was. So I also, you know, as an instructor, I relate to a lot of my members and, and, and those that take my classes and then have any kind of injury. I always try to remind everybody you're human. You need time to come back. I set a goal that year to be back to my pre-surgical self by December. So from September to December, which is when my birthday is, I wanted to be not just back, but I wanted to be even better. And I worked really hard at that. And I did that. I'm really proud of that, but it took time and it takes so much patience and like saying good things to yourself and reminding yourself that you're human and you know you're not really these are the things that make us all the same you know yeah yeah for sure wow yeah I didn't even realize that you
0: had a, a double mastectomy it's interesting because I think that people when they hear that they think that it's kind of like easier in a way just like double mastectomy than like you're done but That's of course not the case. So, because you just mentioned about
1: biopsies and then the reconstructive surgery after. Yeah. Well, it's really, really different for everybody. I mean, it's all based on the type of cancer and stage and, you know, your doctor's advice. So it's really one of the reasons why I was able to have a double mastectomy and then the reconstruction without having any of their treatment is because my cancer was diagnosed so early. It gave me the most treatment op- options and that's really significant and why an annual going every year is really important, whether you have symptoms or not, you know, you don't want to have to wait to feel lump to, to go for your mammogram. Don't wait until that. And, and that being said, for young women that are listening, like from teenager, touch your breasts, know what your breasts feel like. Lots of women have dense breasts. I had dense breasts. They're lumpy, they're bumpy. You get to know them. And then if there is anything that you do feel from doing self breast exams, you'll, you're more likely to recognize it. And I have lots of friends that have found their own breast cancer that way too, not on an annual mammogram. So, or a mammogram at all, right? So it's really important to do self breast exams. And I still do them on myself because if there was ever going to be a recurrence, you know, I, that's one of the ways I would pick it up is, is um. But it's so low. So let's, you know, thinking positive thoughts. So, but yeah, get to know your breasts. It's okay. To touch your own breast. Right. And All right. Yeah. It's, it's really important. Yeah. And there's lots of great um, resources out there, including the national breast cancer foundation for which, I am a community ambassador and you had something to do with that, Nahami, right? So yes,
0: yes. I love it.
1: <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you wanted to tell a story. I know. I think you reached out to me first.
0: Yeah. So after, right. So we became, we partnered with the NBCF to donate 10% of our pink lipsticks to them. And I wanted to get like some ambassadors who have gone through breast cancer and I wanted to send them gifts of, of pink lipstick. And have them wear it and talk about and share our message. And I found you through Instagram, and I messaged you. You were so sweet. I sent you some lipsticks, and then I think you messaged me because you're a speaker and you speak about your story, as I mentioned before. And I, I think you wanted to get like an introduction to NBCF. So I emailed them for you, and then now you're one of their investors. <laughs> um, it's it's total divine providence how you know these things.
1: Yeah, it all happens for a reason. So I I thank you for that because. At the time, I was holding the, you know breast cancer awareness events, annual mamos, save live events, and I wanted to make sure that what I my goal in, in these events was not only to spread my message, but the donations, any donations I receive. I wanted it to line up with my message. And the National Breast Cancer Foundation, after researching them, I realized that they have a, a national mammography program, which provides free mammograms for women who, for whatever reason, are not able to access them, whether financial, they will help them locate, you know, find locations and also obviously spreading awareness. And what I was saying before about self-breast exams, you can go to the National Breast Cancer Foundation online and you can find a tremendous amount of resources there um, to learn how to do self-breast exams, learn about breast cancer. You can donate, um, And so the money that I, the donations that I raise are earmarked to go to that national mammography program, which then in turn provides these mammograms for women. So it was such a perfect alignment and the national breast cancer foundation has been awesome. I've been with them now for two years, officially as an an ambassador for over a year. Um, And they're just wonderful. So, and, and I've actually women in my own community because of me speaking out about, this, and partnering with them have been able to take advantage of the program. So it's just so nice to see it all in action. It's been, it's just been, it's been wonderful. So thank you.
0: Oh no, My you. pleasure. And thank you. Thanks for spreading the message. And it's interesting that you say that about the NBCF because I happen to, I also obviously did my research before I chose organizations to partner with. And I really love the NBCF because they're, they're really focused on women and helping women when I first called them, you know, we were a new brand. They, they knew that we were not going to start, you know, giving like thousands of dollars every month, you know? And they said to me, you know, we are, any dollar that comes in, it goes to help women. So by you, even if you give like $5, that literally goes to, I think it's like a pamphlet, an educational pamphlet to women or whatever it was. And I had so much respect for that because they're a true nonprofit. Like they're really focused on women and helping women.
1: Yeah, no, they really are. And everybody that there that works there is just so nice. <laughs> yes, <just> totally. <laughs> genuine. And I think, and for me, that's always been something that's been super important to me is aligning myself with partners that are genuine and real in their their intentions are good. That is, I'm big on intentions, you know, so intentions are really important. It's really important to me, especially at this point in my life. Um, I'm staring 50 in the face in two months. I can't believe I'm going to be a half a century. <laughs> I've <laughs> learned so much in life from my personal experiences. I never could have predicted that I'd be sitting here with you talking about this, you know, there's just so much. So what I say all that to say again, is I've just, my priorities in life have changed, especially since my diagnosis. I mean, it's just reinforced the journey I was already on, I was already on this very self reflective journey um because of life, you know the twists and turns and the ups and downs. I was already on this self reflective pace of like journey of finding myself and my i there's a lot of things that I'm really grateful for about my diagnosis. I think I'm a better person I think that I have better values and um, better priorities I think I've been able to help people in ways that I never thought I could help them. It's just reinforced, I don't know, lots of really good I things. It's special. It has slowed me down big time. I really focus on keeping my life as simple as possible in like every aspect. And for that, I'm really grateful.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I would love to hear about your support network because we spoke about support, how important support is in the beginning. So could you tell me about that?
1: Yeah, totally. I've always been, um, like all of my career, my whole dancing career, my whole event, entertainment, production career, everything that I've been involved in has always been on teams. I've never been, I was a professional dancer growing up. I was on cheerleading team, was on the drill team. I was never a solo artist, a solo dancer. I didn't do anything alone. I did it in in, in teams. And um, usually, and a, a lot of those were teams of women, you know, on cheerleading team, on drill team, it was all, we were all girl teams. Um, and then as a professional dancer, I was a, I was a Nick City dancer for six years. Um, And captain for four of those years. You know, it's an all women team. Although we did have guys for like a a, a little bit. It didn't work out, but I'm still (laughs) I'm still really good friends with a few of them. They were wonderful. I miss them. But you know, so I've always been I've always loved being on teams and supporting other women and helping them to bring out the best in themselves. And I think that's one of the things that I do regardless of what my title is, I think that's one of the, uh, that, that's one of the skills that I bring to anything that I do. Um, and so when it came to my breast cancer campaigns and annual Mammal save Lives, it, that became an automatic that came with it. So not only, you know, with my mom and my two friends, I was very active in supporting them, obviously, and bringing together their support network. And in different ways, and then when I was diagnosed, I again I was really fortunate to be in a situation where um, the community where I worked at Cycle Bar, like they were phenomenal. There, I mean, it's unbelievable, and how everybody came together and just was so positive. And when you're going through a crazy time like that in your life, and there's really so many unexpected ups and downs and you don't you don't even know how to tell somebody like how do you even tell somebody you have breast cancer to this day I'm still like how do I tell people that I, I meet like how do I introduce that topic? I, I don't know and I don't know if there's a right or a wrong way. So I was you know going through that. It's just it's so having that support network is so real. And I have found that even as a mom of two boys, I love my boys, it's a, and it's always been my girls. Not that my boys aren't there for me, but through life. through through life, um, it's always been my girls. And so, you know, growing up, it's really hard, especially I think for young women these days with social media, I think the pressures that are out there, I, I, I had it hard enough without social media growing up to be, you know, to look a certain way. I mean, I totally was insecure. I told you early on, I was, I was overweight. I was always described as thick, you know? thick and chunky. And, you know, so I had big insecurities about that. Um, And when, once I broke it down to more about being healthy versus unhealthy and started looking at my, my body shape, my physique based on a healthy versus unhealthy that really helped me change my perspective. But, um, you know, supporting other women versus tearing them down, even women that you may think are like, have it all, again, we're all human. And this is what I've learned throughout my life is that we're all human. We all experience insecurities, you know, while someone may be staring you down, it's, it's, it's not, I don't know. I just, I would much prefer to support women than, and than, than not. And I'm really yes. like, grateful for the, my close friends, my best friends that have supported me throughout everything, my family, My boys, my little son, my youngest son who's 16 now, he was 13 or he was 12 going. When I I, I was making him go to school on my double mastectomy and he actually had a state test to take. Well, he took that test in 45 minutes and he knew what time I was leaving the house for my surgery and he called me and he said, you are coming to pick me up, mom. (laughs) At that young age, he said, you were coming to pick me up because I, I had told him, you're not coming. You'll come at the end of the day. There's nothing for you to do. And always thought he was just too young to be there. Well, my little, my little 12-year-old son was my biggest support the day of my mastectomy. I was like, uh, oh, he made me laugh to te- the point of tears, like while we're waiting. So, so yeah. Wow. yeah. Just have to throw that in there so I could give him a shout out. My son.
0: Yeah, I, I love that. That's so is that him in the back? I see a picture in the be- behind you. Yeah. <laughs> him in the
1: back. <laughs> oh, he's so cute. Then 13, but he's 16 now and a true teenager. So <laughs>
0: well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, you know, we all have our own identities as women, and a huge part of our identity is our bo- our bodies and our female body parts, our breasts, you know. So, you know, did you feel do you have any feelings about like your body betraying you or you know, like you The symbol of breast, which our mothers love, you fed your babies, you know, it's it's representing nurture and love. Did you feel betrayed or
1: any negativity about it? You know, this is a really, really sensitive topic and it's really different for every woman. And my biggest message about this is that it's okay. However you feel about it is okay. There's no right or wrong everybody has had different experiences, different influences to bring them to where they are today and how they feel about their body, I or about their breasts in particular in this situation. Um for me, you know, I had breastfed both of my my boys a year and a half each. I was very connected and that that experience was such a beautiful experience I, and that I'm so fortunate that I got to have with them. Um, But I was really fortunate to be able to, when I did have the the surgery, I, I let it, it, it did, it took, it took a little while and to process the fact that they would no longer be part of me. And I just, I honestly didn't going into it. I really didn't even understand it a hundred percent, but I did, and I spoke to this earlier, my advice is to speak to others who have been in the same shoes. So when it got to the point where I was considering a double mastectomy, I spoke to not only just breast cancer survivors, but those had been through a double mastectomy. I wanted to hear about their experiences because if that's what I was going to do, I wanted to know specifically from them. And I was told, Never once have I had a negative um, opinion from anyone through a double mastectomy and that's been through it. Not one, every single person has been grateful for that choice. And I couldn't see it. And they told me it will, you will get over it. You will come to terms with it. It might take you a little while, but you will not regret the decision. And they are right. I'm so glad I did it. and it, you know, just, it is what it is and it definitely comes with its, uh, potentials. I mean, there, there's a potential that I could always have these, the, these, my implants removed long term and not have anything, you know, and that would maybe be a different story for me But but I, I know that that possibility exists. So for now, I'm just grateful for now. I'm grateful for what I have right now. And, um, Just be happy that the that the breast cancer is gone. For me, that was the bigger thing. It was more like I don't want to have that hanging over my head or the chances of it coming back. I wanted to really just knock that to the ground best I could. So that's really where I was coming from. But it, you know, it's not an easy thing. It's not. But I got used to it and I'm okay.
0: I'm doing
1: good. Yeah. Wow. Do you have any advice for someone going through breast cancer? You know, how to get through it emotionally? Yeah. So again, it's like so different for everybody. I know so many women that have gone through their breast cancer journeys, um, and seeing and just having respect for how they're getting through it. Know that your journey and the way you get support doesn't have to look like anyone else's, um, everything from support groups and or nothing. I mean, some people are so private and that's totally fine. They don't even want to be part of a support group. Um, And then there's the extreme like me where I'm speaking out about it. You know, you can look at me and my sister, my sister, she's, this is, you know, she, I speak out about it on public platforms. She doesn't, but that's fine. That's just the way she um, it, what works for her. But I always advise to find other women again that have been through what you're going through with it. And especially younger women, because when you're diagnosed in your twenties and your thirties, it really can feel like no one else has gone through this. And that is not the case. Um, you can always reach out to me through my social media. And I can always, I've, you know, I, I've i been supporter of of women, um, not necessarily a medical advisor or never do that, but supporting and like, you just need that emotional support Um, usually now again, through the breast cancer centers, they already have access to support networks, support groups. There's so many, um, groups that are private on Facebook. You could just simply do that. And some, some women that are in the the Facebook support groups are just quiet and they watch from the outside. You don't have to be actively posting or talking in your group. You can just watch from the outside and that works for some women and then other women love to be, you know, very vocal and out there and on podcasts and, and so it's, you know, this is the way of dealing with it. So really it's, it's knowing that whatever your way of dealing and coping is okay because it works sure. different across the board.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great advice for sure. Do you have advice for friends or family who see their friends going through breast cancer treatments and diagnosis of what they should do, what they shouldn't do to help support their friends?
1: Yeah. Because in this situation, when someone's going through it, you always go, how can I help you? Right? What can I do for you? There's always this, there's this need of wanting to help somebody, but not knowing. And a lot of times the person goes, no, I'm fine. I don't need anything. That's just BS. Like, I don't believe that. It's such a rare rare occurrence. So my advice is do something anyway. Um, I created um, a chain where one of my friends, she was getting a card from somebody in the mail every single week. She had no idea. I actually don't think she knows this to this day. I don't think I ever told her. But well, she was just, I would, I would, she'd like send me a text, be like, oh my God, I got another card today. And like every, she was getting a card in the mail. You know, it was so old school, amazing. right? amazing. And I would go to her house and they would be all out on like on shelves. And it was, you know, it was getting so big. Her card collection was getting so big. And it really did bring a lot of joy to her life um, meal trains and bringing food over, just, you know, sending, Sending words of encouragement, and then there's a lot of people who don't say anything, and I, I get that too. And they don't say anything because they're not sure what to say, and I, I, I get that. But I think, being in the situation I was in, it also, you know, for me, I try to remember that you don't know what to say. But I also felt like the people that stuffed up were the people that I felt I could. That would be there for me always you know kind of made those people stand out in my life and say okay these are the people that care about me and yeah. you all often hear stories about people actually losing friends after going through this because because you elevate your your perspective in life just changes about your, pri- your, your priorities are elevated and so it's part of the simplifying process of going okay i'm only going to keep those people around me who are you know, genuinely care about me and so
0: right and yeah. even if people if people feel uncomfortable they could or awkward let's say because they don't know what to say how about just going over to the person and saying you know I feel I feel uncomfortable like I, I feel awkward I don't know what to say but I want to be there for you that's even
1: something you yeah, could do totally it, it really is I I I think that that's a very appropriate thing to say just to be online you know say, this is uncomfortable for me. I'm not sure how to help you and I want to help you or I want to be there for you. Um, but oftentimes the person going through it doesn't even know how you can help them. It, it's just knowing the support having the having emo- the emotional support, staying in touch, checking on them. You know, does yeah. Maybe even like making them dinner, dropping off food, helping them with the kids. Okay. Yeah, there's just, yeah, there's just, it's, there's so many yeah that's the little things' just dream yeah. right? We figure out when we're going through this that it's the little things that count. It really really is, and there's a lot of support out there finding support for women because i've I've actually steered survivors in ways of like um getting financial help or finding organizations that will help them financially, so maybe you can help somebody by doing that research for them. Mm. there are. Support a lot. Listen, it is no joke. The financial toll that it can take. Again, everybody's situation different. Um, but if you need financial resources, financial s- support, it is out there. And then maybe as a friend, you can research that for them. Um, yeah, right. That's a way of helping. Finding, you know, organizations that donate wigs. These, it, it's there's just person going through it, going through the treatment should only have to focus on their treatment and getting well. That's it. That's all they should have to focus on. They shouldn't have to focus on the money aspect. They shouldn't have to focus on, you know, other than picking out the style and color of the wig. they shouldn't have to worry about how they're going to, to navigate. that. It's just, I, I did that with my mom and, you know, it was really, it's, it, it, it's not always, easy. So having that kind of support is really wonderful. Yeah,
0: for sure. That's such a good point about just focusing on the treatment and nothing else. Because there's mm-hmm. so many other things that come up alongside the treatment and their regular obligations, they have the So to help them with those, just relieve them of yeah. those. Yeah, for sure.
1: I couldn't drive for two weeks after my surgeries, each surgery, I couldn't drive for two weeks. So having my kids friends, parents, just picking him up and dropping him off so he could have a normal life. That was huge. That was huge, you know, and they were there. They did. You don't even have to ask. It was awesome.
0: That's so special. Wonderful. Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Is there anything else that you want women to know about this? Just in case I missed anything.
1: Get your annual mammogram. (laughs) Even in the face of fear, we move forwards, And that is courage. Yeah. So, yeah, wow. I, I, and, and applied to any situation that you're fearful in, I fear, I think is a normal, completely human emotion that we all have and all experience. And part of my, my journey has reinforced that we move forward in the face of fear anyway, whether it's, it can be applied to like the littlest of uh, most insignificant you know, situations, not that, well, you're not going to really feel fear unless it's it's really insignificant, but you know what I mean? It's, oh, job changes, career, personal relationships, being, feeling, you know, following your dreams. It's scary. There's, there's, you know, fear enters our mind, but courage is walking through that fear. It's not pushing the fear aside. It's not saying I like how do I not feel fear anymore. Everything I did, I mean, I was praying up until the moment they put me to sleep at that surgery. You know, my 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 mastectomy. I was literally praying and fearful, and still, you know, what? But I knew that I just had to do it anyway, and just have the courage to move through with the decision that I had made. So. Dude. Yeah.
0: Wow. That's so powerful. It really is. This is the question that I ask everybody at the end of the interview. So, what is something that you hope the next generation of women won't won't have to struggle with?
1: Oh my goodness. One thing? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? We t- we touched we touched on it a little bit earlier. I really wish that when I was a little girl that I understood women supporting women. Girls supporting girls, you know jealousy and envy is again natural feelings, but just not i i I was the target of so many you know being made fun of and um growing up, I had my share of you know being bullied and lots of things i just i wish that young girls would support young girls and teenage girls would just support teenage girls and like. Be real, you know. Don't look at so. Don't look into social media um, for your for your inspiration. Look around you. Look to the people that really truly care about you, and that are being real with you. And I'll tell you what, you know, it's been a journey, like I said, but coming to terms with who I am, who Jacqueline is, is a is been a process, and being able to be comfortable being Jacqueline around everyone else is the most freeing feeling. So that's another thing. Be who you are. And because you'll just do everything better. Yes.
0: <laughs> you know? Yeah. I love that. Thank you. And where can
1: people find you if they want to learn more about you and follow your journey? Thank you. So yeah, you can follow the hashtag annual Mamos, save lives, or you can follow me on Instagram at Jacqueline Brook 23 and that's J A C L Y N B R O O K E 2 3. And I'm also on Facebook at Jacqueline Alterwine. Wine. So um, I'm sure you'll post it, right? Yes, and it's also, going to be in the show notes. Yeah. So I am hosting, um, partnering with a yoga studio. I don't teach yoga, but I absolutely love yoga and a big believer in yoga. And I'm doing, um, hosting in partnership with Open Heart Yoga um, a virtual yoga annual mamos save lives event on November 1st. We're going to like, we're not yet. We're going to wrap up the whole month on November 1st and I'm raising um, donations obviously to go towards the national breast cancer foundations, national mammography program. And you can access all that. The best place to do it is through my Instagram, Jacqueline brook 23. I have a link tree and everything will be linked there to easily donate, join the yoga um, session again on November first, and all the information will be there.
0: Awesome! Yeah, that sounds so great. Okay, um, thank you so much, Jacqueline, for joining me tonight and sharing your story. It's so special, so inspirational, and empowering um, and educational for our listeners.
1: So I'm excited. I hope, so. I, I hope that anyone that's listening is, you know, what I say to the guys all the time, like the daughters that are, you know, I say, if you've learned anything from this. Go home and ask your wife, your cousin, your sister, your girlfriend. When was the last time you had an annual mammogram? That's 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 another thing that any, you know anyone listening can do. If they're not at the age where they're due for their annual mammograms, go talk to somebody that is in your life—a teacher, a coworker. Hey, I you was know, listening to this podcast. I was just wondering when was your last <laughs> annual mammogram? Because it's really important; they care about you. So, (laughs) having that conversation, I can't tell you how many times I women have struck up conversations with me, and I said, "So, when was your last annual mammogram?" And then they end up going for it. And it's happened so many times. So, I'm not the only one. Just because I have a platform, we all have the ability to make a difference.
0: Absolutely, absolutely,
1: yes. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me, and thank you for